0: It's only a kick, a jump, a block, it's only a serve, it's only a tackle, a run, it's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this.
1: Adidas. Hello listeners, I want to talk to you about beer Beer 52 is the UK's number one craft beer club, delivering monthly boxes of the finest small batch craft beer from all around the world to your door. It's a fantastic present for any beer lover in your life, there's no contract, and you can get £10 off your first box by using the code Fulham at beer52.com. That's Fulham at beer52.com.
2: Hello, this is Fulhamish Podcast. My name's Sammy James. This is your weekly navigation tower through the choppy Reading-infested waters of the Championship playoffs. Thank you for downloading this evening's episode as you catch us in the eye of the storm between the two playoff semi-finals, with everything riding on Tuesday's game after a feisty one all draw at the Cottage. We'll be reviewing and previewing those two games, and tonight, to help me do that, I've got Farrell Monk. Hello, everyone. And Jack Collins. Hello, listeners. It's odd seeing each other so much, isn't it?
1: Yeah, I'm yeah. getting a bit bored. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, hopefully you're not getting bored of our company wherever you're listening to this tonight. Bro. Well, let's get into Saturday's action uh, we're also going to be hearing, by the way, from the boys from the Tilehurst End podcast, a Reading FC podcast uh, later on, I should mention. But before all of that, uh, we need the three word reviews from Saturday's Tea Time kickoff, a uh, one all draw. Uh, there was lots of emotion. They were riding very, very high at Craven Cottage on Saturday. What's the best of the three word reviews, Jack?
1: There were lots of very, very good ones. My favourite one of the lot, I think, was from Mike Hop1, who said Tuesday, then Wednesday. Which I enjoyed. Ah, yeah.
2: very good. People are very good at these three
1: world reviews, aren't yeah. they? Ryan Byrne, 90 for Wembley. Glenn Wilson, Atwell, Specsavers, please. <laughs> and I think a brilliant <laughs> one came from Lawrence Craven, who oh, yeah. said, Dom's Domain again.
2: Yes, well, we will be going back to the Medeski Stadium tomorrow evening. Uh, those lucky 2,000 Fulham fans, of which I will be one of the...
1: <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, Jack. Yeah, well
0: less said about that, the better. Isn't it, um, but well, le- I, I do have the ticket, so Sam, unless you're really good tonight, it might go to Jack.
2: Well, yeah, exactly. It's, all it's, in a, far- play- it's a playoff
0: of our own in the studio.
2: <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so it was a nervy, tight game uh, on Saturday where Fulham were left frustrated uh, by this Reading team who had a clear game plan from the start to limit our passing game. Uh, Jack, I'll start with you. Would you say this was negative tactics from Yapstam on Saturday?
1: Well, I mean, it is if you look at it objectively negative tactics means not attacking in in numbers which is not necessarily a bad thing if you're talking about you know teams that won things by playing defensive football I think it's quite important to understand that we don't expect Reading to come out and play football against a Fulham team who are obviously better than them at doing that because they will lose and obviously you don't want your manager to set you up in a way that would make you lose. And I think there are a lot of Reading fans complaining that Fulham fans saying, oh, you're playing anti-football, you're playing anti-football. And be like, oh, well, of course we were going to do that because otherwise we would have lost. I think what was frustrating was the kind of incessant time-wasting and the fact that Stuart Outwell, I don't think, was quite as bad as everyone is making out. What I thought he was was weak and i think that both teams benefited in kind from that but because reading had come out to do a job on fulham and to basically nullify our attacking play it went more in their favor than it did in ours because he refused to give decisions and give cards to tackles early on that were sort of really really cruel camorgan came back through the back of Calas on about 18 minutes it's a horrendous challenge And it's, you know, there's absolutely no attempt to win the ball and Atwell gave him a talking to and and let him get on with it. And that's the kind of tackle that if you've made that tackle and been booked on 18 minutes, you're not going to be going back making cynical challenges, which he did and then got booked for later on. And it's one of those ones where I think we were let down by a weak refereeing who could not control the fact that Reading wanted to kill the game from the sixth minute onwards.
2: Farrell, it's a disappointment, isn't it, when it's such a big occasion like the playoff semi-final. There was so much build-up to the game, and, and Fulham and Reading fans as well uh, were very so excited for the occasion. It's been let down by weak officiating, and it's happened so many times at this tier.
0: Yeah, Um yeah, exactly. And, but even then, Stuart Atwell is an incredibly experienced referee at the top level. Um, and it was very disappointing. There were some weak decisions. And I think there was a... It was a, They do talk about... Referees do talk about game management. And, you know, he, Stuart Atwell probably thought in the best interest of the game at the time to think, OK, I don't want to start throwing cards around at that time and think that maybe just a bit of a talking to would actually... Wants a let it flow. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is absolutely fine. But it, it didn't quite work because... Reading obviously came with a game plan, which was to try and unsettle us and try and frustrate us. And, you know, Yapstam's job is to get results, not to play the prettiest football. And they did sit, sit back quite a lot and their game, their game plan did work and annoyingly it did. Um, they got a decent goal and then they can try and sit back obviously Fulham hit back again. But I don't think that the referee is totally at fault for, you know, what transpired. Because Reading decided to stick with it because they probably thought that they uh, Stuart Howell wouldn't throw cards around.
1: It, no one's com- complaining that Reading came came and played five in five men at the back and and wanted to defend because that's completely reasonable. And you can see in the second play of final which uh, semi final which we'll come to that Wednesday did a very similar thing and 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 frustrated Huddersfield. And I don't think that's you know an issue like that's teams coming and trying to play a game plan. What's frustrating is that it was not picked up on that. They were making, you know, cynical moments happen in every single little bit that they could. It was taking the seconds, frustrating the crowd, and 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 building that up. And you know that can be shut down quite quickly if the if the officials are 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 right and are on top of it.
2: But, but then you can't blame Reading really because no, they no. were just knowing that they could get away with it yeah. and were going to continue doing Chris, that.
0: Chris Gunter every time a Fulham player, went within ten yards of him, would fall over and try and win a free kick and. In those situations, I mean, it was there was some heavy-handed sort of tackling up top. We were trying to be smart by trying to win the ball in some decent areas, but they were they were being very smart in the way that, especially Chris Gunter, he was getting his body in the way, and just as soon as he got that touch, was just going down because that would frustrate us, and it would mean that players like Aluko and Malone, who are pushing really far up to try and win
1: those balls were being a bit more
0: standoffish as
1: the game went on. We weren't our own friend either in that we did occasionally go down a bit too often and a bit too easily in certain situations and i think the ref then playing advantages and and leaving those fouls go was then more likely to give reading you know more of more of the same because he was he was seeing us occasionally fall over and appeal for things when necessarily it wasn't the right thing to do or i don't think it was diving it was more just allowing ourselves to go down easily and we've had plenty of comments about this on the on the show over the course of the year and we've said there's a difference between you know being smart and taking contact and, and you're looking for something when you know it's not really going your way. And I think that we should have managed ourselves better. We should have realised that um, Abita and Gunter were, were, were frustrating our frustrating our wingers and our wing backs in a way that we've not seen before. And I think that Stam's management of the game was excellent. It was just the little cynical things that Reading were doing were what frustrated the crowd. Yeah, and you know
0: all, fair, all credit to Stam for that because if you look at Reading's away record, especially against the the teams in the playoffs, they're, it's dreadful. And he he could not afford another dreadful performance because it would be that it, they'd have to make three or four goals up in the in the home leg.
2: And I guess where we often compare Fulham and the clubs at this level to bigger teams. It's a natural thing to do. And we've said, actually, are Fulham the Liverpool of the championship and people have compared some of the passing to Barcelona. It might be slightly ridiculous that. Um, but if you look at the other end of the spectrum of, of top teams, you also... Have teams that are very good at doing a job, like Reading did. Obviously, Mourinho has written the book yeah. on it over the yeah. years. You sometimes have to go away and have ugly performances. The flip side to that, though, is they can't really do a repeat of it in the home game tomorrow.
0: Yeah, and see the, the yeah, that is very true. Um, I've got to give credit to the two centre midfielders, Danny Williams and um, uh, George, George Williams Evans, uh, and. They were, they were excellent, I thought. They were excellent at supporting the, other, the back three or back five. Um, and it meant there weren't that many things coming through the middle. And the reason why, but, you know, one of the th- Fulham, things that Fulham are really, really been successful at this year is that we overload throughout, it, yeah, throughout the entire pitch and pull their defence this way and that way. But because they had the midfield, that centre midfield completely sewn up, even though we were trying to come down the wings, the, the fullbacks were quite comfortable about it because they weren't finding all that space in around to try and pass it around. It was only that one time that we got through the down the wing with Malone, was when we actually scored.
2: Jack, you look like you disagreed with me when I said that Yapstam can't play the same way tomorrow and be successful. Surely he has to open things up, though.
1: I don't think he does. I think what you've just seen is Reading do an absolute job on Fulham and yeah, we scored. But realistically, it took a bit of magic and a, and, a, and a, something to, to come out of a, a bad save, actually quite a poor save from Al Habzi, who should probably be doing better with that Malone centre, if I'm honest. And it's taken that to break them down. And I don't think that they'll come out and attack us. If you look at Reading's home results... They're not winning by lots of goals. They're not coming out of team and attacking teams. What they do is they get one or two up and they grind out results, even at home. It's, you know, that kind of Catanacho style where it's all about building on a defense, getting a lucky goal. And we talked before the game about Camorgan scoring in chances that are difficult and in from dead balls and all of those kind of things. And yeah, they got lucky with their goal in terms of there was, you know, fouls in the build. we will come on to that, I'm sure. But realistically, all they need to do is score one and shut us out.
2: And I think that they're more likely to do that at home than they are away. So it makes it all the more important then that Fulham take their chances then to get in the lead when they come. Uh, the best opening chance uh, probably fell to Aluko. Actually offside in the build-up uh, when you watch the replay, Scott Malone on the left-hand side. But lovely build-up, lovely drag back. Uh, Fulham have really mastered that drag back into the centre this season. And, and really, Aluko hasn't got much of a case for the defence there. It's quite a poor miss.
1: Yeah, he should hit the target. I mean, if the keeper saves it, the keeper saves it, but there's absolutely no excuse for Luka not to be hitting the target there.
0: Yeah, it was great football in the build-up, but
2: unfortunately the finish didn't come to us when we, when we needed it. But that's going to be potentially what is the difference for Fulham tomorrow, is who can get that opening goal. If Fulham can get their noses in front, then Reading will have to abandon strategy. this, yep, this strategy, and that could open up Reading's defence, and, and Fulham are probably one of the best teams in the championship for hitting you when you're down effectively like that so Mm -hmm. the opening goal tomorrow is so so important more so than maybe other times of season where we've seen Fulham come back from going 1-0 down more than any other side in the championship We've
1: seen Fulham do that loads, but you know we've also seen Reading grind out more one-goal wins than anyone else in the Championship. So I think it comes down to this massively. It depends on you know. It feels like we're getting over the same ground to a point, but like <laughs> it's, it's literally it. If they score, we're in real trouble. I, I mean. just love
0: the absolute disdain in your voice as you're saying it. Yes, if they get one 0 one-nil up, then it's just going to be another grinded-out one-nil win for Reading. I hate
1: it. Like, I I can't lie to you. I absolutely despise the kind of football they play. I I. I can't pretend that, you know, it's the kind of people that prefer Real Madrid to Barcelona because because they have a great defensive line and they have one striker who can put the ball in the back of the net. It's nonsense. It's like, you would anyone rather watch that than watch the way that Fulham play? And they were like, oh, if you're a neutral, you should be supporting Reading because we're the underdog. I was like, if you're a neutral and you support Reading, you need your head checked.
0: <laughs> so, I've, well, you know, to, to play a little bit of uh, with you... I. I I've got to admit, if if it gets results, I don't mind. If Fulham win the Champions League getting 1-0 wins every week, fine by me.
1: I'm honest, and there are very few things of that I'd go down this that quite this extreme, but I'd rather not get promoted and not play the way that Reading do. I would I would not want to watch that kind of absolute nonsense, week on week, have to travel to see my team play that kind of crap. And watch them like cynically take apart teams by like time wasting and you know and fouling and uh, it's horrible. I, I really really dislike the club as a general whole. I'm honest. with
2: I think I'm with Farrell here. As much as I love the way we're playing and it, and it's an added bonus for me. Uh, first and foremost, I always think that it's it's results yeah. for me at the end of the day. If you play beautiful football along the way, that's great. But quite often, you if you are winning, even if it's playing ugly, you will see great moments in football along the way anyway and actually thinking back to the Europa League I don't think we were the prettiest team in the Europa League when we got to the final and I was not minding one little bit Yeah, absolutely I mean Roy Hodgson
0: built his Fulham side about being you know well well drilled well structured we there were some great moments of football absolutely but it was all about being hard to beat okay and then we didn't do it so
2: much in the Europa but actually you know, you watched us away from home in the Premier League. Some of the, for during yeah. some of those seasons, it was pretty awful. Okay, to watch. but let's
1: talk about Hodgson's side then, and let's talk about the fact that Roy Hodgson bought an honest, hard-working side that didn't try and manipulate teams or, or you know, mess about with time, and they weren't cynical. Like they were, they were an honest, hard-working side. L-
0: less said about the the John Pansel, uh headbutt inverted commas against Stoke. I mean, I... I I know, that's one incident. But I
1: I just think that, you know, Stam's gone out there. Whether whether Yap Stam said it to them or not, and that's a different question for a different... If Yap Stam has not said, go out and waste time, and their players have done that like you know instinctively yeah. then i think that's a bad rep on yeah. their players that we're passing on stand. to Stan, but i just don't think they would i think he's gone out there and been like frustrate them wind them up mm. annoy the crowd and it worked it, it yeah. completely worked
0: well I, I have seen reading in other games obviously this season and they haven't done they didn't do that that much i would say saturday was the point where they would just seem to be doing it regularly i mean didn't chris gunter get yellow card for time wasting in the 40th minute of John, John Swift John
1: Swift it was from it was also their corner who gets to gets booked for time wasting in an attacking position I know. like it's, it's absolutely ludicrous I've never heard of that no, no that's that's never happened and like and, okay in the 90th minute if you get a corner fine yeah but it wasn't like they were playing short corners and like playing them to the corner so it wasn't, I don't really know what he was getting
2: at. I remember but Steve McLaren years ago getting lambasted when his Middlesbrough side on one of the opening days of the season um, were time wasting about 10 minutes to go, uh, a 0 0 draw against Liverpool. Uh,
0: absolutely. And that's how he got the England job. Yeah,
2: exactly. Absolutely slated. So if it's to in the 43rd minute, is nuts. Admittedly a cup game, but nuts. Um, so we'll come back on to the refereeing quickly. Uh, Stuart Atwell really at the heart of controversy as uh, Reading scored their controversial opener. I mean, in what world isn't that not just one, not two, but maybe three fouls in the build-up to Reading's goal? There's uh, He absolutely clatters through Tom Kearney and Kevin McDonald, Then Danny Williams pretty much picks up the ball. Mm. I don't know why he was picking up the ball. If anything, a Fulham player should have been grabbing the ball. Uh, And then Paul McShane, though, to be fair to him, plays on, he can do nothing else. Mm. Uh, Jordan Abita, it's a very nice finish. Lovely finish.
0: finish. really nice. Credit where credit's due.
2: Um, We'll come on to maybe how Ryan Fredericks could have done better in a sec. But, I mean, it's a ludicrous decision.
0: Yeah, I don't don't want to hark on about referees doing a bad job and whatnot it's hard to defend them, but yeah. it's absolutely hard to defend it it's a it's a complete balls up it, it's a mistake it's terrible i'm sure stuart atwell's looked over it again and gone like oh, fuck it or even just even afterwards he must have thought to himself i've done something wrong here or I don't know what what because it was so clear it was absolutely clear he was there, staring he was staring right at there's
2: it there's not also as an assistant not that far away there's a fourth official who's really not far away yeah. I don't know if a fourth official really has the power in that moment well, to tell the referee but
0: in a little bit of an insight um, and how those the three or four um, referees kind of line up usually um the referee will outline to who to his two assistants what zones they tend to have sometimes he'll say to um his each assistant and goes right just do thirds of the pitch you know your specific third not the other side of the pitch to the assistant referee but you might say that little box
2: mm-hmm.
0: um just outside the penalty area okay you have that for fouls and handballs and other things like that the center ground that's mine but that can change that can change depending on which referee you're talking to and that seemed to happen in quite the middle block middle sort of like 40 yards of the pitch and i can't imagine that unless it's absolutely clear that um Stuart atwell would have said to his assistant in that middle area can you flag for fouls so mm. it definitely was just on on him that was
1: tough it's mad because williams clearly tries to pick up the ball like it's <laughs> it's it's really weird Why well, i've never seen anything quite like it like why would one why is he picking up the ball like, like I, could, like said, I couldn't get my I'm not head sure i right, what yeah. he's doing there but two like as in, if he's going for the ball with his hands, that's a foul in itself. It's like a direct interference with play. And actually, to McShane's credit, McShane does brilliantly. Mm. He, you know, drives through the middle of the midfield and he, you know, he does look like he did this for about a second. And then he goes, oh, yeah, there's a beater and yeah. the beater does the rest. So, you know, there's nothing, there's nothing wrong with that. As in, yeah. that, that bit's a good bit of play. It's just the, like, madness in the middle. There's a fa- definitely a foul on Kearney and then definitely, definitely an attempted handball. I think there are two things there it's
0: not an attempted handball it's a handball it,
1: it's two things there that that are definitely definitely illegal and <laughs> and it's what you know you you sort of struggled to contemplate how the ref's missed that
2: and in a tight nervy game as it was that is real real fine margins and luckily uh, Fulham came back for it. Uh, in the defending, though, for that, Ryan Frederick should be much, much closer to Jordan Abita. He can't be allowed to have that much space and time in the box.
0: He was really sluggish to get to him in the first place. It kind of went out to him, and then Frederick's kind of looked around for a little bit, going, is he my man? Oh, yeah, he's my man. I might as well go to him. I think he... I don't, I don't know what he was thinking, because maybe he thought that Abita was probably going to... If he's going to have a shot from there, it's going to be an, a good one to, to score. He's... There's no one else in the box, so there's no one for him to pass to. So maybe Ryan Fredericks was kind of wary that he was going to go around him, which Mm. I didn't think that was possible. But maybe he just had that in the back of his mind. But you would only sort of do that kind of really standoff-ish if he was a bit further towards the touchline. Not the fact... I mean, he was quite in the box at that time,
2: so... Admittedly, there was only one place that he could score that goal. It wasn't like he had numerous options. He had to find that real far post, right on the post... Uh, in order to score so you've got to give as much credit to Jordan Abita as you can give criticism to Ryan Fredericks and moreover Stuart Atwell
1: yeah, definitely. A uh, very much a Scott Malone-esque finish.
2: And if, maybe um, we were a little bit hasty to uh, criticise Jordan Abita so much in the uh, preview, for how, yeah, because uh, he definitely got his own back after the roasting of Craven Cottage.
0: I was hoping he didn't reveal a shirt uh, underneath his uh, reading shirt that said, "That's one. That one's for you, Fulhamish Pod." <laughs> yeah. <laughs>
1: yeah, there was a brilliant article on on actually on the Tilehurst End, who we will speak to you shortly, um, about how. Jordan Abita on Saturday, it was like how a boy became a man. (laughs) I was like, maybe it's a bit extreme. It's a a good article about how he's been slightly ineffective and and has looked like you know ropey at times this season, and really stood out on on Saturday as a key man for them, and he was excellent. And he, you know, if the if the rumours are true, he'll be a big miss.
2: Yes, he could be out of tomorrow's game with an ankle injury. I did see some rumours going back today that he might just be fit, and he's now only a doubt uh for tomorrow's game but either way uh certainly be an impact even if he is carrying an injury and starting
1: we do have a couple of questions about this so we'll, we'll leave it for yeah, leave we'll it for the old th- questions at th- the end
2: Oh will come on to that and then fulham responded quickly though and that was important because it was a real body blow uh to go one nil down at that point earlier in the second half and um, a near-perfect goal, though, for me. Just such beautiful build-up. Kearney, Malone, a Yite's pass that finds Malone. Mm. That just interchange of play was brilliant. Uh, Malone wasn't actually sure it was the right option uh, to shoot. Was it to shoot or like a low cross across the box? He didn't really get it all right, uh, but Ali al habsi got it all wrong, uh, yep. palmed it straight yep. back into the box, and then Tom Kearney's the man on the spot and brilliant scenes in front of the Hammersmith, and that looked amazing on the telly.
0: Yeah, I've loved watching it a few times. Yeah. The uh, the Fulham account tweeted earlier. The, there was the goal cam, and the one mm. I really love the one of the one facing the crowd when the goal goes in. It's uh, it's brilliant to watch the the
1: absolute scenes. Yeah, if you want a limbs all over the shop video. Um, <laughs> You can check me out on Twitter at Jack J. Collins. <laughs> yeah, it's <laughs> a good video, it is, Jack. It is, a good, it
0: is a good video, but I don't think you should become a cameraman anytime
1: soon. No, I mean, I completely missed the goal, but it's quite good to watch the crowd. <laughs> um,
2: I do wish for those goal cams, though. They were slightly further out. I like to see the ho- the stand as a whole celebrate yeah. rather than just, like, a dozen... Yeah. Nutters on the front row. As as fun as that was, I I love it when it's like you can really, like you saw Tom Kearney's goal against Leeds. There's a brilliant angle where a Leeds fan is filming it and you just see all three homestands go mad. There's a,
1: we should probably, what they should do is have the goal cam on from the other end.
2: Yeah, from yeah. The, maybe from the top of the Putney end where the camera yeah. where the cameraman is. Yeah, there, that would be.
1: There's a
0: great one from the Reading game a couple of years ago when we scored Lark- by Marie's score in the last minute, and it's the Reading official one, and they've got that exact one where they're pointing towards the Hammersmith mm. end, and that's a good one. It's brilliant quality as well.
2: Always looks great. Um, but going back to the goal, it it really did sum up our quality that that build up and then the finish at the end of it was. Just the icing on the cake.
1: Yeah, it's a gorgeous goal, And also, major credit, major props to Scott Malone. Not for his cross, which I thought was a bit random. But he actually gets the ball on the right-hand touch line on the halfway line. Drives across the pitch into space. Plays the 1-2 with Kearney. And then is on hand to get the ball off Aite. And we were talking about his engine before the game in, the, in our preview show. And it really does show how good... You know that that kind of work ethic and his work rate is, and yeah, no, he's not the most technically gifted player in the world, but he does put in a shift every time, and he deserves credit for that immense credit,
2: yeah. and moves like that are potentially why, <laughs> yes, maybe championship team of the year was a touch strong for scott malone but it's moments like that that we have seen all season from scott malone and that's why he's been so highly regarded for his performances yeah
0: there was a point in the middle of the season where everyone was going we should be starting ryan sessignon over i mean there was a genuine debate about that yeah i
2: think it was a fair debate
0: and he's risen to the challenge and he's really kicked on and he does come into his fair bit of criticism but you know i i've always backed him um and his passing is really good. His energy is really good. His defending's getting better and better. I think he's actually got a bit more of confidence about his tackling ability already and being able to stand up to wingers because this early part of the year, the one game against Brighton that I thought knockout really gave him a real, real, you know, seeing to that game. But then, you know, ever since then, he's just really, really grown. And apart from a couple of points in about sort of like about half an hour to go, his passing was a bit wayward. But apart from that, it was really on point it was really everything was really positive from him, and that really it just it fits into the whole team ethic.
1: I really like Malone when he plays a very short passing game. the point where Malone started to really lose the ball a bit and he did have a bit of a wobble um mm. in about from about half time to sixty five minutes or so. He kept trying to play like cross field long balls and they just kept going out <laughs> and it was like he, t- he tried two or three of them, and it was like Scott. Get back to what you're good at please we we know you can pass the ball 10 yards you just need to you know he needed to he he sort of lost his confidence in the kind of system it seemed for for a little a little period between actually between their goal and our goal and it was only when he started doing that again that we came into our own and he started doing well again
0: we talked about this a a number of times a couple of months ago that when we get frustrated and we haven't when it was around that time we weren't scoring very many in the first half an hour that teams are frustrating us, that we then start to go out of position. And, you know, that was probably that point again, like really, really highlights that when teams do frustrate us, that some of our players do stuff that they're not used to doing, and then the teams start not doing what they're good at. You know, we wouldn't wouldn't want to see I remember Zach Knight trying lots of cross-field balls when he was playing for
2: us, and it was just no. <laughs> I think Ben said it lots A of that. nightmare. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey. <laughs> Not one of your better puns. (laughs) (laughs) Ben said it many times, though. You know that the Fulham team is playing well within a match when they're making lots of short 10, 15-yard passes. And whenever the pass range gets over that and we're starting to go kind of 20, 25, maybe even 30-yard passes, then you know that... Fuller mark clicking today, and the system's not quite working, or the team's doing very well to frustrate us. Um, hopefully, we'll be seeing lots of uh, short passes tomorrow. So, back to that goal uh, Tom Kearney, uh, given man of the match by the official website for the 11th time this season. Uh, such a passionate celebration. I absolutely, absolutely loved that. And then the last real instant of the game, although uh, Ryan Fredericks arguably uh, did have quite a good chance to get a dramatic late winner uh, at the end, uh, was the Paul McShane. Red card. For me, sums up Reading's afternoon of um very cynical football. In fact, it was probably one of the less cynical things to happen in the game. I do mm. genuinely believe uh Paul McShane was trying to get the ball. He's a very honest pro. Um and actually neither side had really any argument that was mm. a red card. Yap Stam agreed it was a red card. I think even Paul McShane himself.
1: Yeah. yeah. He said he was pulled back. Um is that it was his argument why he was so high. Um, and there is there is video footage that shows Cabano sort of a bit all over his back, but I mean you can't. Ex- it's not a, it's not an excuse for for the challenge. It's not a, it's not a good enough challenge. And, and McShane will know that, and a lot of people will know that. And I think there are very few arguments for anyone that that that's a red card. Is it's, you know the picture shows it all. studs up into the knee, mm. and you know pulled back or not. You know that's a that's a dangerous challenge and, and if k-mac wasn't you know actually made of iron he um, <laughs> made in scotland from girders to quote an iron brew advert he um <laughs> he, he would have probably been quite seriously hurt and you know also k-mac stayed down and that's very unlike him yeah. he's very much a person that sort of hobbles on and gets on with it and i think yeah it's a red card it's a red card all day and you know, maybe maybe fortunate not to we were maybe fortunate not to get one in the second half for Malone, who who kept kicking people a bit randomly. Um, but they were probably fortunate not that Camorgan should have been booked first half and then was booked later on the second half. And they had a few Danny Williams with a few cynical challenges, he was quite good. Um I'm not a big fan of Danny Williams is but he he did really well and he really mm-hmm. covered ground. Yeah. Um but he did make a few Quite tasty challenges in the middle, and I was a bit like, "Oh, maybe, maybe you should be booked at some point." You do mean Malone was kicking
0: other players, not people. <laughs> just going up to random people in the oh, crowd. Right. Yeah, no, he, just, he didn't
1: go all Cantonara. <laughs> on us. He, um, he was just, he was just a bit, he was just a bit niggly. It wasn't, a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It wasn't malicious. He just, he had a couple where he had a little nibble at the ankles, and on a booking, I was a bit like, "Easy there, Scott, you're." Uh, you're not too far away. And speaking
2: of nibbles, uh, Tom Kearney quite fortunate not to give away a penalty on Danny Williams. The first challenge uh, is okay, but the second one he really definitely clips him. And maybe had Stuart Atwell not made such a horrendous decision uh, only minutes before, maybe he'd have been a bit more tempted to um, give a penalty. But I think Craven Cottage would have full on erupted.
1: Yeah, well, he he. It was a bit of an odd one because he gets the ball with the first stab of it, and then it looks like he goes to like kick it away, and instead just sort of goes through Williams, but. The only argument is if the the ball's gone. And I mean, I don't know if that's that's a sensible argument, but we've had this about Cameron Jerome, Mm. and I think you remember that we said the ball was gone when the tackle came in, and the ref gave the penalty that day. Mm. I think, you know, maybe we would do one of those. I don't think the ball... I think if if you lost control of the ball, and you're not in an opportunity to score anymore, and you're going through someone, then it's kind of a bit of a different scenario.
0: Yeah, you've got to look at it kind of uh, scenario by scenario. And that one, it's one of those ones you kind of... At the time, you went... But really, when you look at look back on it, it would have been incredibly harsh to give, I think.
2: OK, well, let's change things up here on Fulhamish Podcast for the next 10, 15 minutes and hear from Dan. He's a Reading fan and he runs the Tarlhurst End podcast all about Reading FC. We started off by asking him what his opinions were about the result on Saturday and whether he was satisfied with it.
3: Yeah, I think if you'd asked any Reading fan Gerns Craven Cottage on Saturday with their take taken a 1-1 draw, I think most of them would have bit your hands off. Um, a lot of the talk in the pre-match was dominated by that 5-0 result. Back In December, and you know, it was one of those games where it's very, very hard to win a playoff tie in the first leg, but it's quite easy to lose it, especially when you go away from home. And you could see that Stam had learned from the two games about well, two and a half games we played earlier this season, where you had a lot of the ball it dominated us really uh, in most respects. And he clearly came up with a new game plan it was to disrupt the game, be tough in the tackle, as, as I tweeted at the time, the slide tackle button was uh, used heavily Uh, (laughs) we were playing Prevo. But, um, yeah, he had a game plan. He stuck to it. And you've got to be delighted with with the work rate you see from a team. I know, especially I've seen a lot from the Fulham side of things, saying, oh, Reading spoiled it. They slowed down the game, yada, yada, yada. But, you know, it's the playoffs. It's about getting the job done. And uh, we're 50% of the way there, or at least we've turned it into a one-game shootout.
1: Yeah, definitely. I think so. I, what we were sort of saying earlier in the podcast in relation to the game was, you know, we had no problem with Reading coming out and playing, you know, five at the back, two defensive midfielders and that kind of looking at him, that kind of thing. What was so frustrating was the kind of like, uh, you know, time wasting from sort of six minutes onwards and not, you know, this isn't a criticism in terms of that. But, you know, I've never, ever seen a player booked for time wasting and one in the first half and two in an attacking position before.
3: Yeah. Me neither. Me, absolutely. I was shocked <laughs> that uh, Mr Atwell decided to, to hand out the booking for that one. Um, yeah, look, it's one of these things, that, and like you say, you know, you can't go against a team that comes with a game plan, sticks to it in a disciplined way and, and gets the result they want. You know, if we had played this way and lost 3-0, you could say, well, what was the Yapsdam doing? But we, yeah. we came and executed the game plan and very nearly walked away with a lead as well. Yeah. Um, but in terms of the slowing the game down and things like, that, again, you've got to do what you've got to do to get a result. Now, I've never been a fan of it. You know, Neil Warnock's teams have done it for years. Yeah, they've come to teams. You know, they've done all this, all sorts of shenanigans like you know, ball boys slowing down and all this mumbo jumbo. And it, it drives you as an opposition fan absolutely nuts. But when it's your team doing it, and it's you know, it, I compared it earlier. I, I spoke to another Fulham website who I won't name. Um, <laughs> I, I compared it to like a big greasy pizza. Now. If you eat a massive greasy pizza every day, you're going to be in trouble. If you have it once in a while, you can appreciate it for what it is. Uh, And that was what our game plan was on Saturday. I don't want to see Reading play like that every single week. But for a one-off playoff semi-final away from home, I'll I'll take it all day long. Anything that we need us to do to get the result that we wanted.
0: Well done. I'm trying to put a positive uh, spin on that. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Enjoyed that, lot. The the greasy pizza analogy, my favourite. I better change my dietary (laughs) (laughs) habits then. Um, I do... Definitely have to agree. I mean, we, we did mention earlier that um, we can't always just go playing pretty football all the time. And as long as we get the result done, uh, me and Sammy were definitely in agreement that as long as we get the result done, it doesn't matter how how we play, you know, within within reason. How do you how do you think Yapstan will actually change it going into tomorrow's game?
3: Well, it's difficult because now, you know, you've you've got to the halfway point. You have to score another goal unless you want to go for the complete uh, emotional nightmare that is a penalty shootout, which I don't think anybody wants. You know, Reading have to go and find a way to score. Now, they did that on Saturday um, through, well, it was our first shot of the game. And we didn't have too much more after that. I think it will keep it tight again. Again, I don't see a scenario where Reading go gung-ho. Uh, you know, play three up front and, you know, invite Fulham's hits on the counter-attack, which we know they can do so, so well. So I see him going, again, keeping it tight, uh, he might make some slight tweaks. I could see Liam Kelly coming in if he's back from illness. Uh, we'll also have to do some rejigging of the team because it looks like Jordan Abita is struggling with an ankle injury. Um, superb on Saturday. And obviously, Paul McChain uh, is banned and uh, will miss the final if we get there or the first couple of games next season. So there will be some shuffling about. I don't see massive changes, though. Y- he might pick a Roy Beeren's in there for uh, for Lewis Graben because Beeren's that little bit more creative rather than the sort of raw pace of Graben that, that we look to exploit on Saturday. So... Minus tweaks, but again, I don't see him completely ripping things up and, and coming up with something completely different because it's a way that's proved effective against you. We weren't massively expansive in that one 0 win at the Madstad um, earlier this season. We, we got the benefit of that missed penalty in the last minute, and again, you just need the one goal. And we've done very well defending leads this season, so that'll be the game plan. It, we won't go and try to, uh, to batter the doors down. It'll be a very case of, uh, very much a case of keeping it tight and just trying to nick that one goal. I was going to
2: make a joke saying that, uh, well, if it does go to penalties, then it's not really a lottery because it'll be a dead cert Reading win. But actually, you can't score rebounds in a penalty no. shootout. So uh, that's that's your little game plan foiled. No, we have, uh, we have made a petition to the EFL, but for some
3: reason it's been turned out. <laughs> <laughs> We've been, in fact, there was one rumour going around at one stage that our penalty takers were actually you know whispering to people around the edge of the box where they were going to put it so they could be there for the rebound. It is the most weird season I've seen from us. Not just... In fact, we scored so many rebounds, but we had so many penalties in the first place. No, I don't want that. Um, I don't think anybody wants that. It's the cruelest of cruel ways to get knocked out of the playoffs. I don't see it happening either. I could see extra time, um, but I do think there's going to be a winner. Both sides have got enough about them to get that, the goal they need. Um, and I think both sets of fans will be happy to see that done before spot kicks.
1: Well McShane's obviously going to be a, a massive loss for you in not only in terms of being you know an excellent center back and, and actually a creator in some sorts there on on Saturday but but also in terms of his leadership abilities and Abita you know we we are assuming is, is is going to be out but there is you know there's still debate about that the last time both Abita and McShane were out was the Norwich game
3: is that a <laughs> yeah that one we don't talk about that very much. Um, the thing about Paul McShane is that he has missed most of the last two months the game at Burton on the last day of the season was the first time we'd seen him since early March so Reading have found a way to win without McShane in the team now we, we have had some heavy defeats in there the Norwich game in particular is a, a horrible aberration of a game that all of us want, want to put, put firmly in the past but it, whereas he will be a blow we found those ways to win now it'll be interesting what Stam does with the defence, because if a beta is out as well, that'll mean at least two uh, reshuffles need to take place. Now, a full-back, if beta misses out, I'd expect Tyler Blackett to go in there, um, and Thiago Alori who, who came on when McShane was sent off as well. I imagine he'll get plugged in as well for McShane. I'd expect those two, but Stam is a big fan of Joe Vandenberg, who also came off the bench on Saturday. Uh, an enigmatic character, to say the least. He's also been dealing with a lot of injury problems. He's not featured much. He's not made a start now again, since just after McShane's, so we're talking mid-March. So either way, it's not ideal. But it, it, this was sort of, you know, this isn't a player that's played 45 games we can't live without. You know, McShane's only managed about 30 this season. So we found ways to win without him. It is a big blow. He's such a leader and a catalyst. But I suppose if you want to say it, it's fortunately, we have had that very recent experience of playing without him. If
1: Blackett goes out to fullback as as you just suggested, is that sort of going to be the end of the old five at the back drill? Because obviously he no, played as a centre half.
3: No, no, not at all. I mean, uh, Blackett played a lot at fullback this season. They sort of rotated between being the sort of third man in the back three or the second of two centre halves, or at yeah. left back. He's played everywhere. Really, uh, I'm not a massive fan of him. There, I don't think many Reading fans are there because he's not a natural fullback. He's very much one of the you know the typical case of a centre back. Playing out left, anyone that plays football manager, and you get one of those players It's a DLC. Yeah. <laughs> you have to stick him out there and do a job. That, that's kind of what Blackett's done this season. Um, he could play Thiago Lauri out there as a bit of a wild card to try and combat the likes of Fredericks. Um, but I would kind of guess that he would go Blackett there just because he's done the job a would, few more times this season.
1: Would that mean someone else coming in at centre-half if Blackett, you know, obviously, McSh- if, if we're saying that Loury's a straight swap for McShane... Um, does, does someone come in there to cover Blackett at, centre, at centre-half?
3: Yeah, I, I very much imagine it would be Joe Vandenberg. Okay. There's a slight chance he might go Reese oxford um, but he very much seems to trust Vandenberg. He brought him over from Holland at the start of the season. Um, a very tough tackling player as well. No nonsense. He's, he's as likely to do something amazing as something absolutely stupid. But it's a player that Stan trusts, and all season long Stan's gone back to those type of players that he trusts, that he knows. I think for a massive game like this, I think he would uh, throw Joey into the deep end and say, give me 90 minutes. He's a, he's a player that's had a 10 year odd career. Um, he, he's not a young player like Oxford that you might say could get overwhelmed. So, yeah, I'd expect to see Joey in there, um, unless, of course, a beater is fit, and we, we very much hope he is. Mm.
0: Yeah, he would be a big loss, especially after such a fine goal at the weekend. Um, just looking a bit further ahead in the team, I know Graben came off with about half an hour to go I I personally think that was with uh Tuesday night in mind because he is such a pacey energetic player that maybe half an hour rest at the end of of uh Saturday um probably would be do good for him uh with Tuesday in mind do you agree
3: Uh, I'm not sure, really. Again, it sort of depends the game plan that Stam's going to go. I think for the way we were playing on Saturday, where it's very much very compact and looking to then spring out, Graben's perfect. He's played with Kermian before at Bournemouth, and he's just that type of player that can lead a quick breakaway. Brendan, I expect, is not play quite so deep, and in that scenario, I just wonder if he'll go to Roy Beerens, who is a winger by trade, but Stam has sort of played him all around the sort of zone behind Kermigan this season. Again, he's one of those players like Vandenberg that Stam really trusts and has turned to time and time again. I just wonder if he'll start with Beerens to, you know, spring a decent pass, put in a telling cross um, to get that goal ahead, and then perhaps if we're chasing the game or if you know if we do go ahead and you know Fulham forced to come on to us you can then bring Graben on he's not started an awful lot of games as Lewis he, he seems to start away from home uh, he had a really good game up at Villa when he got a start but um, otherwise he's been a lot of a bench player so I would I'd hazard a guess to say that it'll start with Roy Beerens, but uh, I'm not exactly sure and Gareth McLeary is a bit of a wild card as well uh, one of our top scorers this season he's dealing with a lot of injuries as well. I don't know whether it's a case of Stam has kept him back for this one or if he is dealing with an injury. So if he's fit, that could again be a bit of a wild card.
2: And Dan, just to finish off, now I don't think I'm being too out of line here to say that the Medesi Stadium is not one of the famous atmospheres in English football, but it's the second leg... very dare you. (laughs) (laughs) It's the second leg of a playoff semi-final. It's going to be pretty, pretty intense uh, at the Mad Stad. Uh, I've already heard you uh, throw in that reference out a few times. <laughs> what kind of evening, what kind of occasion are you expecting tomorrow night?
3: I've had the misfortune of sitting through many of these things now. Uh, this is our sixth playoff campaign. So I've seen the agony and the ecstasy of these things at the it will be. It will be a tense atmosphere to start with. Uh, I think whoever scores first will almost settle down the atmosphere for both sets of fans. I certainly felt on Saturday, obviously, you know, it's great when we scored first, but either way, you just kind of want that first, you want the first shot of the game. You want that settled down. We know what we've got to do rather than the tense cagey uh, shadow boxing. So uh, I think you all get a good atmosphere. Reading fans, we, we, we don't have a great reputation, but it's the same as Fulham as, as fans as well. You know, there's a reason it was called what El Middle Classico, I think. <laughs> the Waitrose
2: derby, derby way. as well. That's because exactly. it was had uh, yeah, all the yeah, smoked absolutely. salmon being thrown um, around that.
3: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. So, no, look, I don't expect, you know, a European Anfield-style atmosphere. But Reading fans can get behind their team. We've had some big nights in the not-so-recent past. And I'm expecting one tonight. I mean, I remember our playoff semi-final against Wigan oh, 16 years ago now. And th- the atmosphere that night, the stadium was shaking. It was... Just a, a really fantastic atmosphere to be at. And running fans, when they really are needed, they do come out in numbers. I think it's a sellout. We're, we're selling out the other end of the away stand um, to yourself So it'll be full, a lot of hopeful, a lot of noise. No clap banners. Oh, thankfully, no clap banners. We've been doing <laughs> this in the past. Jack's bringing um, his. I'm yeah, bringing, well, mine, I'm along
2: bringing along. mine along as well. <laughs> they are
3: the worst. Do you know what with the clap banners? I love the fact that they try and get the home. And especially, you know, I said we've done it before. But it just Kills the atmosphere before the game. It yeah. killed it on Saturday because you just couldn't get any natural atmosphere going. Yeah. So anyway, yeah. that's mini rant over. No Don't no, worry. We, no. we, no, we, we, we're, we're not fans in... either. Don't no. I, so. No one is. Excellent. Glad we're not the only ones. <laughs> so yeah, it'll, it'll be a good atmosphere. It'll be tense, knuckle down. I know you guys haven't been in one of these things for for what best part of twenty years. Um. And as I said, I've seen us win and lose them at the Madelski. Um. And I'm really hoping I don't have to sit through another defeat, but anything can happen and and I've uh, I have no idea where I'd be putting my money
2: Dan um, thank you for speaking to us and best of luck slash worst of luck tomorrow night
3: <laughs> Absolutely, and exactly the same to you. Whatever happens, uh, hopefully one of us will be celebrating uh, in Wembley in a couple of weeks' time.
2: So thank you to Dan there from the Tilehurst a Reading FC podcast. Always good to get that opposition view. And uh, Dan was very balanced uh, in his opinions, which we always like here on the Fulhamish podcast. So the game tomorrow evening, it's a 7.45 kickoff at the Medeski Stadium. Might cause some traffic problems, actually, that. There's a reason that uh, Reading play at uh, 8 o'clock normally uh-uh, when they play in the evening, because the M4 does turn into a bit of a piler. Uh, when it's the earlier kickoff, but I don't think there's any choice being the uh, championship play- uh, playoff semi-finals. Uh, if the score is level after 90 minutes, there'll be extra time and then penalties. There's no away goal. Uh, just to remind you again, in the championship, uh, there'll be 2,000 away fans at the Medeski. Lots though are going to be watching tomorrow at the Craven Cottage Beanbag, which I believe Jack and you and your brother are going to that. Yeah,
1: we're we we're, we're going to be down there to record some fans. This is our this is our kind of uh, twist on the situation. I probably. Would have maybe liked to go to the pub, but I think we're going to go down and try and get some interviews and and talk to some people about this and and hopefully feature them on Thursday's podcast. Yes, absolutely go and brilliant. go and say hello to Jack and his brother. Yeah, come and say we'll be in the flag. Is he the flag?
2: Oh, God, don't bring the flag. London, Keep an eye out for the flag. London Irish Whites. Uh, so, tomorrow night, do you think that Slav is going to change the team? Uh, Chris Martin maybe didn't have his greatest performance uh, on, on Saturday. Do you think it's maybe better to go with the strikerless system that has worked so well in our recent away games? You can reel them off, uh, not Sheffield Wednesday, but Huddersfield and Norwich as well, Newcastle. Villa. Yes. Yeah. Um, oh Villa at home I thought you yeah. meant Villa or oh, So that's definitely not one of the <laughs> highlights of the season uh, do you think he's going to change it up or do you think it's better the devil you know
0: I personally think the one change he'll make and I think he'll drop Aite for Sesenyon. I personally believe he'll be the case I, I think Chris Martin did okay on Saturday um, I think he likes Chris Martin in the team hence why he brought him back in uh, for Saturday's game and I just think Ayite, although he full of attacking intent, I think his decision making was poor on Saturday. He was taking shots on where he shouldn't have been taking shots on. He wasn't crossing the ball when he should be crossing the ball. He wasn't playing some short passes like he should have been done. He got worked himself some great positions, but then chose the wrong option near enough nine times out of ten.
2: It's unfortunate for Floyd because he hasn't got Ben here to defend himself.
1: <laughs> He's also, it's those two big missed chances against Brentford, he, he doesn't seem to have got his confidence back and he, you know, he flashed at a few things on at the weekend, he made some really poor calls on the edge of the box and uh, a couple of ones where even drilling the ball low at the keeper would have been a, a sensible option in case someone was out and he, he went for wild long shots and I think Aite's not necessarily in the right mindset right now, I think I'd, I think I might bring in Sess. I know that's a bit mad and gamble at 16 years old, mm. but I just think that Cessignon might be the answer at this point. I it's think there's tr-
2: no debate, though, that at this point, I think Cessignon is ready to play in a game like that, albeit only at left wing.
0: Yeah. Um, the, it's quite funny how the season has gone, that we were thinking that our Piazzon's an absolute shoo-in for that left wing position, or left wing or right wing, whichever one you want to say, but he kind of has gone off the off the boil since coming back from his uh unlucky draw draw injury
2: i think that also it's a case of he's best in that number 10 position but i don't think he's going to Knock out Tom Kearney out of that place anytime soon? No, I
1: don't think that anyone's going to be knocking Tom Kearney out of that spot. And I think that if, you know, we don't get promoted and, and Kearney decides that he wants to make that jump to the Premier League, then we have to reconsider. And I think that Lucas Piazon wouldn't be the worst shout out of putting someone mm. in there that we could look at. And, but, you know, that's a debate for another time. Yeah.
0: Unless it was Cabano in the 10. Uh, no, uh, on the on the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> let's put
2: Kenny on the wing. How about that one? Yeah, Kenny was really good on the right wing, wasn't it? Yeah. <laughs> you know um Let's get into some questions then uh, before we end today's podcast. Jack, loads coming in uh, via Twitter and email today. So, uh, what's at the top of your post bag today? There's actually
1: loads in the post bag, so I'm going to sort of work through this as as, as best as I can. Um, the first question from Owen Wolf. Um, who was on our phone-in yes, weeks he was, back. Indeed. He said, if we were to get promoted and you could pick one player from the Championship to play for us in the Premiership, who would it be? I'd uh, go for someone that was... someone who'd be really committed to our cause.
2: Presumably not someone that's gone up already because I'd just choose Anthony Knockout or something like yeah, that. No, yeah, no, I,
1: I'm assuming we're going to pick from Championship teams that are, uh, are staying Championship teams. Yeah. Um, someone we'd like to bring up with us if, if we went up.
2: Yeah.
0: Someone's going to be really committed to our cause, so um, maybe Darren Bent.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I wasn't expecting to say that. No, oh. not at all. Um, speaking of Derby, though, I would bring through Will Hughes. Yeah,
3: I think Will Hughes he's is a an great excellent
2: shell. centre midfielder, and I think he'd really, really suit. Although I don't actually know who he'd replace in the side but i think he's a very promising talent and i'd like to have Will Hughes. In this is shirt.
1: old news from me but i would be bringing Alex Smithies of oh yes of name. Yeah, yeah. yeah, he one, one he's the he's more
2: of a player that i i think we would need as in like that's what Fulham need right now like if we did go into the premier league i think Will Hughes is just a bit more he's a lovely player i'd really like to have him. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, I can see where you're coming from. Yeah. I can see where you're coming from. Uh, what's next in the post back then? No, go on. Oh, go on. Oh, did you have an answer?
0: Um, I would, if they don't go up, I would take Izzy Brown.
2: Yeah,
1: good player. Although yeah. he, he doesn't actually play for a Championship side, he's on loan. Oh yeah, that's true. So I mean, that wasn't only, part of one of the criteria. <laughs> the only other thing is, you know, if we if we're looking for a striker, there might be someone, you know, a, a, a sensible option in one of Naki these teams. Wells, Naki Wells is probably the best out of the lot. I'd say
2: probably not for the Premier League. This is probably more for the Championship. But Tammy Abraham is also a, a really great talent. Yeah. but I just can't Again, see. Loan. Yeah, I know he's on loan from Chelsea. <laughs> you
0: name half the players in the championship; they're on loan from Chelsea.
1: Yeah, no. I mean, we've got some questions who are basically all working around the idea of should Martin start or should we play Aite up top? Um, and I think that we we've gone through that, so that we have differing opinions on this. I might go for the raw for pace and power of um, Aite, Cabano, um, Kenny, and Aluko. But I think that's another one. We've got a big one from from Ivan Berry here. He says, do any of you guys have any superstitions or rituals that you have to adhere to before a game like this or any game?
2: Jugger Stella? <laughs> I think tomorrow I'm going to be a bit paranoid about like not having my ticket or, or something like that, but it's not really a, a superstition before the match. Uh, the only thing is I always um, always wear a scarf, even if it's at the middle of May and it's absolutely boiling. I do love wearing my scarf and I feel a little bit naked, like something's not right if I don't have it on me, but it's not exactly a uh, you know double crossing the shoelaces backwards kind of superstition.
1: At home, I at home games I always go through Turnstile Forty One,
2: uh, as in I've
1: never not gone through Turnstile <laughs> Forty One um, for for the Hammersmith end, even whatever. if you are in the Putney end. Yeah, I still go through and, and then I like, walk all, across all the, pitch. the way around. Yeah. Like, yeah, I just go straight across. <laughs> I'm like, sorry lads, I had to go through Forty One, so I um, <laughs> actually on the Fulhamish podcast.
2: Um, so yeah,
1: no, that's that's one. Um, I've stopped... I mostly have a have a, a certain amount of cans to bring with me on a train, even if I'm going to like Brentford, I will still make sure that I've had the same things on the train on the on the way there. So, that's that's I suppose a superstition. But I think that I will always also every morning I wake up and it's game day. I always listen to the the bolero from La Rouge. <laughs> when I, I also oh, learn the you listen- like.
2: To like, your football day b- playlist, that yeah, obviously specially... I have like I have a
1: special football day playlist, but like, but mostly it's just Bolero, like really loudly, like and aggressively loudly in the morning um, of a, of a game.
2: I anyone walk to it? Anyone on Coach C on the London to Doncaster train uh, when we went up to the Sheffield Wednesday would have been treated to Jack's football day playlist. It was really good. We really had a nice
1: time. We played, you know, some
2: good tunes. There were some nice '80s hits in there. Yeah, we had a little less conversation.
1: That was good. Lola's theme. That's always a classic. You know, <laughs> all these games that you know really ramp you up. I think you need to publish this. Uh, is it on Spotify? Yeah, it's on Spotify. If you just search "It's Football Day" on Spotify, you'll probably find
2: it. Um, is this in? Is this in there? <laughs> That's
0: like Tom Kenny.
1: Make me happy. Absolute classic. Is this in there? Uh, this is in. It is in the playlist. Yeah. Oh, good. Um, yes. Also, we had a good story about the song. Last week, after Brentford, me and my brother were in in the pub in in, in Chiswick, and uh, it was the same day as the Army Navy match. So there were a lot of um, blokes in in there in in red chinos and and blazers, and um, we the DJ was <laughs> playing terrific. all these things, and we kept demanding they played Ain't Nobody and eventually he put it on. We ran out onto the dance floor with the flag. The dance floor cleared so fast. I've never seen more people. And also there was like a couple of like stag dudes and stuff. They were all there. None of them, no one having any of it. Like none of it whatsoever. It's Just the
2: flag. No one wants to be associated with the flag. Yes, they do. People love the flag. Like people keep asking
1: me for pictures with it and stuff. Hillsborough certainly Hillsborough <laughs> didn't, did, did. Hillsborough did not. hated the flag. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, you're right. Actually, that's that's very true. Uh, maybe we've
2: got time for a couple more questions. Jack. Yeah, let's go some.
1: Um, let's go into some more. Uh, this one's from Laura at uh, Laura Rads, who says, let's talk about whether Cabano pulled McShane because that's what everyone seems to want to talk about. I mean, we've touched on it, but it, I think if you look back at the at the footage, there, there is something to be said for, for McShane's argument that he has been yanked backwards. That said, it's still a red card. Yeah. Is that, is, that, is that the genuine consensus for this? That is succinct and as correct as you can be. Well, so you're just answering questions now, doing bits. Um, <laughs> how, how do you think... This is from White Noise, a uh, long-term friend of the podcast. Yes, White Noise. How do you think we might best exploit the absence of McShane and possibly Obita? And also, do you think the Obita injury is a hoax to throw us? Well, it could be. I mean, we've already seen that they're up to dirty tricks.
2: Yeah, exactly. be they're all on crutches tomorrow the whole reading team's gonna walk into the game on crutches and then suddenly have miraculous recoveries as uh as kickoff approaches i I don't think that fulham should alter their style of play to suit Reading's, and that's clearly what reading are having to do for us i think we carry on with our game plan and i'm quite confident and I think it was actually Kearney's goal that's given me this confidence that we have the quality and the ability to break down Reading over 180 minutes and, and we proved it once Yesterday, uh, not yesterday, on, on Saturday. And it was that moment of magic, that lovely interchange between Malone and Iita. And they can have all the negative tactics and they can play whatever way they want, but they can't stop Fulham when they are at their absolute best. And that's why I don't think we should be changing the style, even if McShane and Obita are out. It's a bonus for us uh, that they're having to change their team tomorrow night. But we can do it. There's no doubt we can do it. Whether we will do it, that's another question. The only point I'd
1: make is that without McShane, they actually gain pace in their back line. They they are very much gaining pace. They lose a leader and they lose a lot of you know his qualities, which are experience and knowing and keeping a calm head in big yeah. situations like these. But they're going to put a Laurie in who's pretty quick. He's a you know he's very much no slouch, Thiago Laurie, and he he he's a good centre back who, who's proved himself in Europe a little bit on loan from Liverpool and before he signed for them indeed. They are adding pace, so there is an argument to suggest that Martin should start because we're actually gaining physicality by McShane's absence. Mm. And that's surprising stat that Elori is their record signing. Oh, yeah, brilliant, isn't it? Yeah. Imagine Thiago Alori.
2: 3.75 million, no. records
1: Reading signing. They yeah.
2: weren't being in the Premier League for like half a decade. And over they the spent last... nothing.
1: Mm-hmm. No, they well, don't I, spend any money. They, don't, they haven't got any money. Yeah. That's, that's incredible, though. It's,
0: it's incredible considering when you look just, I mean... You look at Sheffield Wednesday, who've been in the championship a long time, they spent absolute hatfuls of money and they still finished behind Reading, who spent bugger all.
2: Oh, it's an, it's an amazing achievement by Yapstown. I think no one should take away from that if if Reading don't go up this yeah. season. that um, They've uh, had an incredible achievement to finish third.
0: Um, just a note on Paul McShane, though, that when watching their game again on Saturday, it does show how much of a calm head he is, that Reading were trying to pass it around a little bit at the back and there were points where you think to yourself, oh God, he's going to lose it here. And he just has that... That ability just to find an extra half a yard and pick out a really good pass, and I think that's it's a really good person. To, he's a bit, a bit like the Tim
1: Ream about him, really. Definitely. Well, we have one last question. One last question, which is from Tom Dorset, who's written us an article or two over, over some years. He says, "Do you bring in Odoi for Fredericks, who looked off it on Saturday?"
2: Uh, not for me. No. No, I agree. I, I mean, I I also I agree to a point.
1: Yeah. but I do think that Ryan Fredericks was arguably our worst player on the weekend. I think that that there was he looked like he just completely wasn't like up for it, and we've seen him terrorize obita before down the wing for pace and and power, and he didn't look like he was trying to get past him very often. he wasn't offering the overlap as often as he do, he sometimes does and it was almost you know when when we were talking before about Ryan Fredericks being you know tired back in back in March, and it looked like he had a touch of that about him, and I know he's had a week off, so he shouldn't be like that but it was really strange and I'm not quite sure what was up with Rye on on the weekend. Maybe it's testament to how well Reading kind of defended really. Yeah,
0: no, definitely. Uh Fredericks did kind of grow into the game. He had a couple of like real openings. And there was one there was one quite near the end of the game where he got he got a really good chance to cross the ball and we had two waiting in the area and his cross was a bit lackluster. And then that and then there was that one right at the end where he thought, right, my last cross was lackluster and absolutely fizzed it across the edge uh, almost too quick
1: yeah exactly he have definitely shot 100% that was a shooting opportunity doesn't like scoring goals No, he, goals. he leaves yeah. that to Scott yeah exactly yeah. Just, he's the other fullback
2: well that is the end of today's podcast 24 hours then until D-Day until we see what Fulham's fate is for this season will it be decided at Wembley on May the 29th or will it all come crashing down tomorrow in Berkshire? Once again, I said it on Thursday. Enjoy the game wherever you're watching it in the world, whether you're at the Medesky Stadium, whether you're at Craven Cottage in front of the big screen, or whether you're just at home wherever you are around the world. Uh, We will all unite for 90 minutes plus half time, and then maybe 30 minutes, and then God forbid. A penalty shootout after that. Uh, Jack Collins, Secretary Jack, please can have a title for today's podcast. So, uh, as you mentioned earlier, Sammy, in your in your introduction,
1: we we called this on Thursday the Eye of the Storm. So, I was going to go with that in its
2: um, in its stead. Okay, Eye of the Storm. It very much is, isn't it? We're literally in the middle uh, of what is this intense battle between two very contrasting sides. As much as we've debated that today, uh, we'll see who comes out on top tomorrow. So, uh, we'll be back potentially on Thursday doing a review of the Reading game. Uh, It depends on a couple of things. Some of them are logistical. uh, Others depend on maybe the result and how we feel. Uh, But I think most (laughs) likely we'll be here on Thursday. Yeah, definitely.
1: Um, Hopefully not sobbing uncontrollably into the microphones. It'd be such a bad way to spend an hour
2: of your life like
1: if you're listening to this I can promise you that whatever the result we won't spend the entire hour of the podcast crying
2: no 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 we'll Just have drink,
1: something fun lined
0: up
2: drinking away our sorrows maybe a nice little light quiz live, some entertainment live yeah. pub one <laughs> live pub <laughs> podcast, you say um, so we will see you potentially on Thursday enjoy the game for tomorrow uh, Farrell and Jack thank you for joining me this evening
0: thank you very much thank you